Well, good morning. <clears throat> so I got choked up just saying good morning. <clears throat> it's definitely good to be back out here with y'all this morning. If we can, we'll continue to be praying for um, each other as we enter into the uh, portion of the service where we open up the Word of God and I'm trying to hear the message that he has for us today. Um, hopefully, uh, it's one that will be moving and stirring in our hearts um, as we come to a certain portion of the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, starting in verse 15. If we can, everybody open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. As we've been talking through this chapter, continuing in our Radical Grace series, we have looked at Paul kind of starting this letter to the church at Ephesus to bring them all together, um, to unify them in faith, in belief in Jesus Christ, in the choice and the plan and the works that have been going on since before the world was even made. All this grander, larger narrative that unified Jews and Gentiles, um, the divisions that had continued on in the early church. We're probably about 30 years into it at this point, somewhere around 80, 60-something, um, when Paul is, is pinning this letter to the church at Ephesus. Um, this is 30 years now into the, into the church, into its new function and purpose, independent um, from the kind of physical living Christ being there ministering and guiding and what you found was this distinction, which again, you, you talk about problems. We still face similar problems in the United States. It doesn't go away quickly. I mean, these people were 30 years into it, but we still had a huge problem with this Jew and Gentile thing. Okay, They still just could not get past um, the old teaching that the Jews had held on to for so long that they were separate from everybody else, and everybody else was in many ways inferior to them, okay? That's how they viewed the Samaritans, that's how they viewed all Gentiles. Um, what Christ did when he entered into this world and came in his ministry is, you know, incidentally enough, coincidentally enough, purposefully enough, um, in fulfilling actually prophecies that were declared about it, he went to a land that was chocked full of Gentiles, um, and that's who he ministered to a lot. He was the light to the Gentiles. Um, so his entire existence was one of kind of breaking down this preconceived notion that was originated by what God taught the Jews, but ultimately they took it to a very fleshly side of things that um, created a more evil interpretation of this separation thing. So here in, a, in the book of Ephesians, he's trying to really blow that completely out of the water. And he's going to, in no uncertain terms, do that um, in chapter 2, but he's really laying the foundation here in chapter 1, all pointing back to this beautiful narrative that God established before he established anything. Okay, For the physical universe and all of its intricacies and its physics and everything that are just so mind-boggling, I mean, you know, all of these things that we are still scratching the surface on, there was God, there was the Trinity, and there was this relationship that was being founded between us and God at that point. 
And so this rewinds the clock way before anything ever existed. And we talked about how profound that was. Talked about how profound that love story is, that you have been loved before anything existed. That means your worth to God is infinite and eternal. It had no beginning, so to speak, and it will never have an end. So people get depressed and people get despondent and think, well, I just don't have a purpose in life. I don't have a purpose in this world. I'm not consequential. I don't have any kind of whatever. And the argument is, well, so what if in this world you don't feel like you're the most important person to this world? Because you are the most important person to God. In fact, you have been for a very long time. And you will be forever. That's what I think is the problem that we face. And it obviously was a problem with the church at Ephesus. It is still a problem today. That we are so zeroed in on the now of what's going on. We are so hung up. I mean, everybody right now is so hung up about a date in November. Everybody now is so hung up about, well, what's happening in Iran and what's happening in China and what's happening in Russia, what's happening in all these places. Everybody is so hung up about economies and, and all these things. And everybody is so focused, intently, angry, Facebooking, Twittering it out ad nauseum about everything that's going on right now. And do we understand that this will not always be this way? Give it a decade. It's, it won't be this way. Things weren't the way they were 10 years ago that they are now. Things weren't the way they were 50 years ago that they are now. This is always changing. That's why Solomon and others would make the point, I mean, this is just a vapor. Our life is just a vapor. It is here today and gone tomorrow. It's like the lilies of the field that are today sprout up, beautiful, look great. Tomorrow you hack them down, you throw them in a fire. That's, that's how quick and fleeting their existence is. Our life, whether it's nine years or 90 years, is just as fleeting when you're putting it on a span of eternity but also the things that we get so wound up about today are going to be so silly to us 10 or 15 years from now. We're going to be like, we worried, we got wound up, we got invested, we got so vitriolic about X, and in 10 years, X won't even exist. And we'll go, man, we really spent a lot of emotional energy on that topic, didn't we? When what Paul tries to get these people in... Ephesus to grasp, which is, again, what they're, what they're struggling with right here. You're so wound up about this whole Jewish-Gentile thing, and in reality, Ephesus, this problem in 10 years, 50 years, 100 years is not even going to exist. How many of y'all ever wondered or checked on an application that you were a Gentile? None of us did, right? I don't think that's really happened in a long time. That has never, that's not a distinction for us. In fact, we have to go to the Bible to even make that distinction. Because beyond that, that's not even, it's not even in our concept. In fact, a lot of times we as the church in America don't even consider ourselves when we talk about Gentiles. Like, we talk about them in a biblical context as these people and 
we really are those people. Like, we are them. We are the Gentiles, okay? That's us. In fact, everything you read in the Old Testament, that's us. That's, we are the Gentiles. That's who we are. Uh, we are not Jewish. Uh, we did not descend from Abraham in that concept, unless, you know, you really trace your family tree back a good long ways. I don't know. But that's, that's who we are. We don't think about it. It's not in our concept anymore. So what Paul is doing with the church at Ephesus, he's like, guys, get this. I don't even know if it's a 30,000 foot view. It's like a 30 million foot view of your existence. And realize how much more impactful, important you are in this much bigger scheme of things that's going to go on forever. When this world is ultimately and eventually wrapped up, melted away, and reformed, you in Christ are still going to be existing in this reality. Okay? Everything that was, every nation, every principality, every dominion, every power, every political move, every social awesome thing for the time, all this stuff is going to be completely and utterly obliterated. But you and your existence in Christ will still be around. So that should just give us a much grander view of our existence here and what our purpose is here. So he opens up with all that through the first 14 verses to kind of lay out and say, guys, both of you, Jews and Gentiles, and anybody else that comes into this mix now or a million years down the road, you are part of a greater purpose and narrative that has been going on since before the world ever began. So now that we've cleared that up, now that you're all on the same page, now that you understand your origin story and your ultimate ending, now let's focus on who we are and what we're here to do. Because remember, this is a message directed at the church at Ephesus to emphasize the importance of the church at Ephesus and universally. So it's a message to reinvigorate, encourage, direct this church to don't be getting off on the message. Don't be getting off on your purpose. Your purpose is not in one direction, continuing a Jewish philosophy, and your purpose is not in another direction, trying to see how far you can not be a part of a Jewish philosophy, which was a lot of their issue at Galatia and a lot of their issue at Ephesus and Colossae. Which, which, which path are we going? Are we going to be a Jewish New Testament church? Are we going to be a Gentile New Testament church? Are we going to circumcise and continue that tradition? Or are we going to forcibly not circumcise to just flout that tradition? Which path is this church going to go? And Paul was going, bigger picture. Those things don't matter. That's not your purpose. That's not what we're zeroed in on. That's not what you're here for. You are here for something greater, bigger, and more impactful in your existence here, however brief or long that may be. So then he enters in, after he's laid that foundation, into verse 15 to kind of close out this chapter, which we know is not a chapter which we know didn't exist, and it flows right into chapter 2, and it's the same thought and continues on. And again, like we said, Paul is great at run-on sentences. So even though we're ending the chapter, there was no chapter, and this is a continuous thought. So keep that in mind. But he kind of concludes here from 15 to 23, he's laying out what his desire for the church is. 
I've told you how you are all one in Christ. I've told you where you came from in Christ. I've told you about your inheritance in Christ. I've told you about your redemption in Christ. And now what I want you to do is I want you to grow in Christ. I want you to get more. I want you to get more knowledge. I want you to get more inspiration. I want you to get more involved in this big picture that you are a part of. And so he starts in verse 15 and says, Wherefore, I also, after I had heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love to all the saints, have ceased not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And what was his prayer? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes that, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought or worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and when he set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and mights and dominions and above every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in any world that is to come and has put all things under his feet, and has given to him to be the head over all things in the church, which is the church, which is his body, which is the fullness of him that fills all in all. So Paul is concluding this section or moving into, transitioning into a prayer that these people that he has just unified and established by this one grander purpose that is all in Christ, okay? Remember we talked about a little bit that it's, it's an important distinction and it's not just mincing of words, and maybe some people would think it is, but it is not just mincing of words when he focuses on in Christ and not through Christ, okay? And we address this because if I view Christ as just a medium through which... I gain things through which I gain an inheritance, through which then Jesus is just kind of a means to the end, not the end himself. He's just the way by which. It's almost like if you have ever had any experience with Catholicism or anything like that, that, that Mary or the saints are mediums by which you gain access to the Father. I pray through Mary to get to Christ, or I pray through the saint to get to Christ, or I pray through them to get to the Father to get my prayers answered. Well, there is an interesting dynamic here that Paul is calling out that it's not that you are getting these things just through Christ, it is in Christ, okay? Christ is the source, Christ is the end, Christ is not a means to the end, he is the ultimate end, it's Christ or nothing, okay? How are your prayers answered? It's not just through Christ, it's in Christ that your prayers are answered, okay? It is in the works of Christ, it is in his intercessory power, it is in his blood, it is in him being the veil, it is in him being the sacrifice, it's in Christ that your prayers are answered. That's why we pray in the name of Christ, okay? 
because we're praying in Christ, in his power, in his authority. And the church has to be in Christ, okay? Not through him. We don't just use his name as the means to justify our existence. He is our existence, okay? So we can't just go out here and say, well, we are a church of Christ and not be a church that is in Christ. Do we understand the distinction? I can't just say I'm a Christian. Christ is the name that I'm putting on my card to show that I am a righteous religious person but I'm not really in him. My existence isn't in him. My life isn't in and about him. My way of being isn't in him. My purpose isn't in him. Do we understand how there is a difference in that? And that's what I think is the big point in all this and what Paul was trying to get this church to grasp. You're not, in, you're not through Christ and being a Jewish church, and you're not through Christ being a Gentile church. You are not a church, period, if you aren't all together in Christ and existing in Christ and existing for the purpose of Christ. Do we understand how Paul is trying to get them all centered around? It is Christ. You're not doing all these things through Christ. You're doing all these things in Christ and for Christ. He's the head. He's got to be the one you are in. Or else this is all just a really great religious exercise, an institution that we are a part of. There's a lot of those around the world. And in fact, you can just keep coming up with them. I mean, Scientology, hey, that's a great example of a New Day religion that just kind of sprang up out of some really weird concepts. So that is just, we can all do that, right? I mean, we can all throw in a lot of money or we can all say that we agree that, you know, whatever the, whatever the fad of the day is to make you feel better about yourself, we can create a lot of religions. What sets us apart or should set us apart is that we're not a religion. We are a people living in a way that is ultimately in Christ. That's the difference. You're not just doing a religious practice. You're not just using Jesus' name as the means by which you gain satisfaction or happiness or fulfillment or whatever, but know that your fulfillment, happiness, joy, and existence is actually being in the person of Christ. So he says, I want you to gain more knowledge and insight into this. Paul says, I've heard of your faith and, how, and your love for all the saints. Now, again, Paul has been at the church of Ephesus. He spent a couple of years there. In fact, he kind of founded the church at Ephesus. He's writing this letter probably about five-ish years around in there later, okay, when he's in house arrest in Rome, okay, so he's writing this letter back to them. It's not that he's never met them before. It's not that he didn't establish the church and know of their faith. But what he is hearing is the effects of their faith in Christ that is being had in this area of Ephesus, which interestingly, you know, you read in commentaries and you can get kind of history of these areas. You know, Ephesus is sitting there in, you know, kind of Turkey area, okay? And it is the... At this point in Rome, it is the capital of this Asia province, okay? It's not some small backwaters place. This is a 
this is a big place. This is a big influential city that Christians are really having a lot of effect in. Remember when Paul was there, he had this whole, we have upended the entire area and we've kind of downplayed the worship of Diana and we've kind of caused this whole hubbub in, in Ephesus. Well, now five years later, Paul is hearing of their faith and their works in Rome while he's in house arrest. Okay, So he says, I've heard of your faith and your love for the saints. I've always kind of, I guess, wondered at that phrase, I've heard of your faith. Okay, So what does that mean? What is Paul hearing? What is Paul learning of? What are the things that are going on for Paul to write a letter back to this church and say, hey, I've heard of your faith. How do we live so that our faith is heard of? That should be a good question for us. How would other people in distant lands... Okay, if you're talking about being removed to Rome from Ephesus, how would other people hear of our faith and what, what does that mean? What does it look like? Notice that he didn't say, I've heard of your devotion to the religion or I've heard of your practices in particular, your religious practices. I've heard of your theology or I've heard of whatever he said no I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus now he knew these people were believers now granted two three four years later there's obviously new people hopefully that have come into this situation but I mean he knows these people it's not that he's all of a sudden going oh this is a church I've heard of that just randomly sprang up in the middle of Asia, no, Paul like laid the bricks for this church. So he knows already of their faith, of their profession, of their belief, of their existence in Jesus Christ. He knows of that. But their reputation of faith is exceeding in such a way that he's hearing of them back at Rome. At least that's what you would interpret from this. I've heard of your faith. I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus I think that's a particular phrase that he uses in a couple of different areas, but it is, it, it is something that's very impactful. It is something that, is, that should call our attention to the fact that they are being heard of, which means that whatever this is, the influence of it is having such an effect in this area that Paul can hear of it in Rome, that Paul can hear of what's going on because of their faith so he's calling out these this church's works in this area of ephesus as being so impactful that it is causing a stir in far off distant lands and you say well how does that translate for us what does that mean for us how what you know, what, what would be the credit or the purpose of such a thing for us? Okay. Now, obviously, you see this. Paul is not, in a way, crediting them as being superior because of what they're doing. He's not giving them whatever extra merit. There's no, this isn't braggadocious. They are not running around sending letters out and saying, hey, look how faithful we are. 
Look how much we're doing. They're not putting it up on their website how philanthropic and how you know loving of other people they are. Here's our 10-point list of how we do these things. I mean, that's not what's going on. They're just living out their faith. And in fact, he draws it into a, a specific instance where he says, with your love of all the saints. And I think you can, it's, you know, again, maybe there is a shallower interpretation of that, but I think probably what you can gather from that is the all-being and all-inclusiveness in loving of the saints, which means you're not just loving the Jewish saints, you're not just loving the Gentile saints, you're not just loving the white or, or Asian or whatever. Your love is so uniquely Christ-like that it is non-discriminatory. I've heard of this. I've heard of how you've loved all saints, no matter where they came from, what their background was, what their color was, what their race or creed was, which would kind of flow and emphasize what Paul has been trying to address with this church in this entire chapter. Quit dividing yourselves into Jews and Gentiles. Quit making divisions that don't exist anymore because of what Christ did. And look, I've already heard of how you love indiscriminately. You get praise for that. Your faith in Christ has led you to love indiscriminately like Christ loved. And I've heard of this. Remember that that's, that was what Paul was trying to pull them all together around. That's what Christ was trying to pull them all together around. When Christ is like eating, as Pharisees would say, with publicans and tax collectors and prostitutes, okay, and the Pharisees are going, oh, if he only knew, if he really was the Messiah, then he would know the nature of these people and he would know that they're not deserving to sit at the table with us. And Jesus is like, it's the, it's the sick people that need me and that's who I came to save. So it's not the righteous that need a physician. You know, he kind of makes that distinction of, I've come to love these people that I came to die for, and they're made up of a lot of people who you wouldn't even let eat at your kitchen table. Well, here they're loving in this same capacity, loving the saints, whoever they may be, wherever they may be, from whatever background they may be. And remember, that that's, that's kind of what we've been getting at for several, several, several months, and I guess you could even equate it as years now, that there is a love that is characteristic to a follower of Christ that is unlike any love anywhere else in the world. There is a way in which we are to love people that is unlike anywhere else you'll find anywhere in the world. There is an indiscriminate love that we as followers of Jesus Christ are to have that you will not find anywhere else in the world. You may find xenophobia, you may find whatever it may be, things that delineate and separate and put you in certain boxes as to whom you're more likely to go love and show affection and kindness and mercy to than others. But with Christ and in what we are called to be as Christians, he says you are to love even your enemies because that's what Christ did, and that's what God did. He says, so if you're going to be like your father, you got to be like your father. 
So here Paul is calling them. He says, I've heard of your faith. I've heard of your love for the saints. And it's important because the faith that he is tying into, remember, he didn't say, I've, I've heard of your what, whatever. He didn't tie into the group, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. He didn't tie in, I've heard of you continuing the traditions and whatever at the church at Ephesus. I heard of your group worship. I heard of your group practice. I heard of your whatever it is. He did, that's not what he was tying it back to. He said, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. That was the thing he had heard of. I think in, in several generations in our existence, we have gotten so off track because we zero in again too narrowly on the group. We look at it and say, oh, well, I've heard of your Catholicism, or I've heard of you being a Baptist, or I've heard of you being a Methodist, or I've heard of you, whatever, and we zero down. And then when we try to take, you know, like First Peter and and you know, give an answer for the hope that's within us, we always zero that back into like why we exist in the denomination that we exist in. Like it's not about giving hope in the faith, it's getting, well, why am I a Methodist? Why am I a Baptist? Why am I a Catholic? It's zero back into our existence within these groups that we have placed ourselves in. And instead, what Paul says is none, none of that. He didn't hear any of that, thankfully, because that wasn't in existence then. But what he was zeroing in on was, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and how your faith in the Lord Jesus has affected your lives in such a way that you are loving all the saints. Again, it wasn't the faithfulness to their Jewish heritage it wasn't the faithfulness to their circumcision practice one way or the other. Those weren't the things that were making waves at Ephesus that were reaching the shores of Rome where Paul was under house arrest. What was making the waves was their faith in the Lord Jesus that was affecting their love to all saints. That's what reached him. That's what's important. Okay? So here he says that it was this faith that was so impactful and he identifies their faith. And, and this is really, again, as he has shown us in all this, what do we grab as the big picture here? What do we grab in all the choice and all the love and all the mercy and the inheritance and all those things? What Paul has been describing for the last 14 verses is the relationship that we have in Christ. The relationship that we have in Christ. We individually have a relationship together in Christ. There's no other reason that brings us here together today, okay? There's not, there's not all right? Now, you can, if again, if we're going to come back to just being group think and group talk stuff, well, yeah, well, as primitive Baptists or as Baptists or as Methodists or whatever, or as Republicans or as Southerners or as Daughters of the Revolution, whatever you want to put in there as a group, you can obviously gather people together around a centralized idea and they'll gather on some day and they'll have a meeting and then they'll leave and they'll all feel better about themselves. But what truly and honestly has to be the reason why we are gathered here this morning is faith in the Lord Jesus. Like, that's what unifies us, okay? 
But then as the bigger picture, as the church corporate around the world, where we can plop anywhere in the world and come up with brothers and sisters and fellow saints who don't look like us or talk like us or act like us in many different ways, but are still part of the all saints that make up the church, what unifies us is our mutual faith in the Lord Jesus. So that's what he's getting at, is the relationship that we have together in the Lord Jesus, but then also the relationship that we have established in Christ to God through the Lord Jesus. I mean, all the conversation that's gone up to this point is relationship conversation, okay? And that's why the reason that I emphasize that is because what gets us away from our kind of faith in the Lord Jesus living is getting away from the relationship aspect of it. Notice how he uses father a whole lot. Father's relational, okay? Father's family. Father is not abstract deity, okay? Now, he'll throw God in there, and he uses God, God the Father, God our Father, the Father and God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He uses those phrases a lot, but I want you to really grasp how often and in so many places in the New Testament, he references the Father reference. He wants you to see yourself as a son or daughter of a father, not just a religious practitioner of a deity, because that's not what has happened. Christ didn't die on the cross to establish a religious practice for a deity. He died on the cross to save his brothers and sisters who are sons and daughters of the Father, who is God the Father, the creator of the heavens and the earth. We have a family relationship that is going on in these verses. When we read these verses and we read these letters that Paul is writing to the church, Paul was not writing a theological dissertation on the soteriology of predestination, okay? He was not writing a research paper to the church at Ephesus to prove a, a theory about whether we're chosen or whether we choose. That was not the purpose of the letter. The purpose of the letter was a love letter written by Paul to his brothers and sisters at Ephesus to remind them of the love relationship they have with the Father in Jesus Christ. And how that should affect their lives and how they're to live as the church and his body and his brothers and his sisters as his bride as part of this fam family. One of the commentaries that I was reading on that had a phrase in there I thought that was really, you know, I kind of summed up what everything I just said. You cannot grasp the meaning of yourself fully until you understand yourself in relationship to God. To be created by God means to be related to God, okay? You cannot understand yourself or grasp the meaning of yourself fully until you understand yourself in relationship to God. To be created by God means to be related to God. Now, what he's talking about with that is that we did not spring up as just molecules that self-imbued themselves with life. We were created by the Creator God, okay? Which means we have a relationship to Him. Now that relationship can be positional if you want to think of it like that. Not intimate relationship as husband and wife, but relationship as in I have a relation to you based on our origin, okay? 
So everyone that has ever been created has some form of relation to God because God was the one that created them, okay? So they are in existence because of God, which means they're tied to God in one way or the other. There's no way around it, okay? Now, obviously, in the fall, the intimate relationship that we had as image bearers of God was obviously severed, and we required Christ to make that connection again. But we are all in some way related to God. And in fact, ultimately, all of us at one day are going to bow on the knee and say, Jesus is Lord. That's ultimate. That's what's going to happen. Go into hell, go into heaven, good, bad, ugly, all of the involved, everyone's going to bow the knee to Christ because ultimately that day is going to proclaim he is it and none other. Okay? Again, you're in relation to him at some point. There's no way around it. And we can't understand our existence fully unless we understand our relationship to God, because he, he is our creator. Again, good, bad, or ugly, you will never grasp fully your existence until you're grasping it in the concept of relation to God, your creator. So here he's trying to re-kind of group them around this idea of relationship, and he wants them to grow in knowledge, in relationship, with their Father and with their Savior, Jesus Christ. So he says, I pray because I want you to know and understand and grow through the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, that your eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. Because I want what Paul is wanting them to get is a greater, deeper understanding of the relationship that they have with Christ, with the Father. This is an interesting kind of phenomenon because you think about on the spectrum, big picture, all of existence, however you want to look at it when you're talking about relationships with marriage in particular. Okay, so maybe you date someone for one year, maybe you date someone for six years. The minute you get married, there's a lot of stuff that you didn't know about them, okay? Right? Now, all too often people will bring up the idea or the concept of like the, the toothpaste thing. Well, I didn't know you were a squeeze from the middle person. I thought you were a squeeze from the end person. And for some reason that creates issue in marriages. I just have to say you did not get enough marriage counseling if that's the thing that's really going to be tripping you up, okay? Um, there are some much bigger issues. If you're letting that bother you, we got some heart things that we need to address, Okay. Um, in, in reality, we do understand that it does not matter a hill of beans which end of the tube you squeeze from, all right? Guess what? Ultimately, all the toothpaste will come out. And ultimately, at some point, everybody's got to squeeze from the end, right? All right, so that just proves the point, all right? You end squeezers, that's just, you'll ultimately get your victory because at some point, you've got to go to the end of the tube to squeeze it up, all right? So congratulations, you won, which is why the argument is so goofy. I don't know why you're getting tripped up over it, okay? So all that being said, you might not have known that. Even if you dated someone, I don't know, like six Six years, you might have never known that that was how they squeezed the toothpaste too, okay? You learned a little bit more. Your relationship, hopefully through that, grew a little bit more. When you've dated some, when you've married someone and you're five years in, I think you would be honest to say you learned more about them in the last five years than you knew the five years previous to that. Because you've been living with them, cohabitating, coexisting, going through things in your first five years of marriage that you weren't married before. You couldn't have experienced that. After you experienced it and you lived with them and you shared common views and goals and you shared common trials and problems, you learned more about them 
And hopefully, the result of that is that your love for them in the relationship grew, solidified, changed, got a little deeper. I think it would be honest that anyone who's in a marriage 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 years down the road and has been through stuff together would say that their love and connection to that person is much deeper, more connected, there's more knowledge, there's more experience, there's more richness, there's less likely to be shaken over little things like toothpaste tubes when you've been through things like cancer, death, job loss, etc. When you've been through hardships, when you've learned and experienced things together, hopefully your relationship is deeper, denser, less shallow, less surface level, right? As you learn more about the person in the relationship you're with, your ultimate love and connection to them in the relationship grows. This is why friends who have been friends from like elementary school have a certain way of just being able to pick right back up and keep going no matter what the distance is. I always think of like Brett in that situation. So Brett Price, who knew all of my life pretty much, knew all we lived together, which was an experience in and of itself on both sides, I would think, lived together for four years, got married, split up, he's went all over the place. But interestingly enough, and what I always find is fun, is he can still come down and sit in our living room after being gone to Alaska for X number of years. And we can just pick right back up in a conversation, having fun, talking, eating, laughing. It's not that awkward. We're like, oh, I hadn't seen you. And I don't know what are you doing and all this stuff. It just, it's a natural progression. Why? Because there's a depth to our relationship that's been built on years and years of mutual experience and knowledge. I know how he's more than likely going to react to a situation. He probably knows how extremely and more than likely I'm going to react to a situation. So, I mean, that's just, it's a mutually shared experience that grows the relationship and deepens it. Okay. So what Paul is wanting for them is, guys, y'all are really on the surface level with all this Jew and Gentile stuff. I really want you to kind of get a little deeper into your knowledge, deeper into your insight, deeper into your experience of your father and build that relationship. Because I know you have faith. In fact, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. I know, and you're already, your faith is driving you to love all saints as you are expressing what Christ has worked in you. I still want you to get deeper. I want you to grow in your relationship with Him. Because that's how ultimately we continue to grow closer and closer and closer and closer to the Father. And that's how ultimately we continue in our sanctification and our growth and our... I mean, that's, that's how we get there, okay? It's not by sitting back and going, well, you know, there's, I've known all there is to know. I can make all the arguments. I know God theologically and in a mind and in knowledge, I've got him pegged pretty good. Well, if you had any kind of relationship with him, you would know there's no way to ever accomplish that, number one. But number two, there's a desire in the relationship to know more. I want to go deeper. I want to be more connected. So what Paul is praying for them is the same prayer that I would have for us. We cannot stay where we are. 
We cannot stay where we are. We cannot ever get to a point to think that we have got it figured out and there is no more for us to grasp. That we have come to the sum total perfection of knowledge and insight and theology and we've got it locked down and we can just rock and enjoy it. Because you're not just gaining theological knowledge, you're in a relationship with your father. He's your father. He wrote all of this as a love letter to you and I so that you could continue to gain more and more knowledge and dive deeper and deeper into relationship with him, not theological prowess, okay? Paul, again, did not write this letter so that you could have more, you know, cannon fire so that you would be able, what am I looking for? Ammunition. Ammunition so that you can argue more effectively theological principles. That's not why he wrote it. He wrote it because he wanted you, as his prayer explicitly says, to grow in knowledge so that your relationship with the Father would be deeper, so that you would come to understand these miraculous and marvelous things that are going on and have gone on as he has explained to them since before the foundation of the world, for them to understand and kind of start digging into the fact that they are part of this beautiful mystery that has just now been revealed. To kind of grab the knowledge of the power, as he describes, that has been given to you and I in the church as the body of Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? Well, you know, he tells us over and over again, you're going to find your source of knowledge about God in the letter that God wrote to you to explain himself, okay? Okay. He says, I've given you my word. There's no seance you have to do, and you don't have to burn incense or cut up a cow. All you got to do is get into my word and read it daily. Get involved with it. You know, we use the verse out of 2 Timothy that say, study to show thyself approved, and we sometimes grab that and talk about how that's studying the word of God, and you got to study it, and then immediately my mind goes to, college and the last thing I want to do is study anything okay I didn't like studying anatomy I didn't like studying nursing school I especially did not like women and infant health um, unfortunately uh, the only class in nursing school I made a C in by the way um, and I'm not going to say that there's a teacher in here or anybody that might have been involved with that but all that being said I could never study enough to learn childhood development and the stages they're supposed to be at and at two they're supposed to be goo-gooing and gaga and walking and all these things just couldn't get it all right just outside of my little brain could not remember it hence why I made a C I'm not going to say it was somebody else's fault but um, I made a C in that class anyway all that being said studying to me that just that it always takes this connotation that I have to sit somewhere with my Bible and open up about four different books to figure out what it's trying to tell me the word there, study, has nothing to do with the study as the way that we think of it. That word in Greek means to be zealous and eager. So the phrase would be, be zealous and eager to show yourself approved to God. It does not mean that you have to have an 1812 Oxford Dictionary to figure out what the Bible is trying to tell you. Christ was clear in his teachings. Paul, for the most part is clear in his teachings. Peter was clear in his teachings. 
There's nothing that has come in these first 15 to 16 verses that you cannot grasp. The problem is if you're studying it, trying to pass a test, you're missing the point of why it was written. It was not written for your theological knowledge so that you could win a test. It was written as a love letter to tell you about the love that your Father has for you. It was written to be read and understood. In fact, even in the Old Testament with the law, the commandment in Deuteronomy was it was, should be so plainly taught that you could read it while you were running. It was not meant to be an enigmatic thing that took a theology degree to figure out. Now, are you going to fully know the depths of the Trinity? Probably not. Join the club. But are you going to understand what faith in Jesus Christ looks like? Absolutely. Are you going to understand what Paul is talking about when he's saying, I want you to grow in knowledge of God? Absolutely. And what does that look like? That means you get in and you read the Word of God as it was written to you for you to be able to read the Word of God and understand what he was trying to tell you. The love and compassion he was trying to display to you. The mercy he was calling you to. The relationship that you are in with your Father. Which is something that I think is very interesting in a way that you can kind of maybe adjust your mindset on it. When you start praying from now on, when you're praying, I want you to think about it and pray to your Father. You want to know why? Because that's what Christ told you to do. He said, Our Father who is in heaven. The reason why that's important is because it should hopefully retrain your mind or at least refocus it for that short period of time. And all of us with ADHD know that that's a very short period of time. But it should hopefully refocus and train your mind for that minute and that moment that you're talking to your Father. You are not praying to a wooden idol. You're not praying to the God of luck and chance. You're praying to your Father who has a relationship with you. You are His son. You are His daughter. He is your Father. So talk to Him like you would talk to your Father. If you've got a bad relationship with your Father, or you don't have a Father. Well, glory be to God, you have a Father. So unload to your Father like you have never been able to unload to your Father before. Enter into that relationship. Dig into that relationship. Read the letters your Father has written to you throughout the ages to gain more knowledge and insight into that relationship to grow closer and deeper in relationship with Him. That was Paul's prayer. That's our prayer. Because we need to get deeper into our relationship with God because there's so many problems going on in the world today. And religion's not going to fix it. And Supreme Court judges aren't going to fix it. And the president's not going to fix it. And whichever news agency is the primary one this week is not going to fix it. The only way possible is with our Father. So we need to be in closer relationship with Him. I mean, also, when we're in closer relationship with Him and we're digging into knowledge of Him and all of our focus is on Him, it's less on the petty, stupid things that gets us on Facebook and Twitter. 
and ultimately remembering that what we're really going after is him and his glory in his name and not the name of the church or the organization or the political party or whoever it is that we may be affiliated with. We have a bigger purpose. We have a relationship with our Father. So let's dig into it. May God bless us to do that.